Quack, quack, quack. Oh my gosh, everybody. Uh, you know, don't don't look at what the what Vegas says about this game. Because we're Duck fans, all right? We know what's going to happen here. We're favored in this game. We just came off a really big win. We're feeling good about ourselves. Stanford, on the other hand, not looking so good. They got a bunch of injuries. Everyone's counting on the Ducks to win this one easily. So we all know how it's really going to end in embarrassing fashion for the Ducks. So, well, really to break down how it's going to happen, how we can guess it's going to happen. I brought on a couple of guests. Now, one of them is a very, very, very old friend. Of course, it's Hithliday of Addicted to Quack. How are you doing, Hithliday? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good, uh, except for the impending loss to the Stanford Cardinal that will uh, torpedo our season. Uh, but to break that down, we figured we might as well get an expert. And so we wanted to bring on our regular Stanford guest now, the great Jabril Taha of Stanford Daily, uh, the sports director at KZSU Sports Radio, true diehard Cardinal fan. How you doing, Jabril? I'm doing all right. One of the few true diehard Stanford fans on campus. Uh, yeah, I, it's the first week of school. Morale's pretty high because a lot of our student body doesn't care about football. There you go. <laughs> That's good. But they're, uh, th So morale is high because they're back to school in their natural environment. Yeah, everyone's happy to see each other. You to know people yeah. are shoving them into lockers. Yep. Yeah. Well, th good. that's that's great. And then, uh, you know, and they're going to all be able to celebrate a, a really big upset victory this oh, Saturday when they, when they take on the Ducks. And no matter what you say, I mean, I'm sure last year we were saying the same thing of like, oh, you know, of course the Ducks are going to roll over this Stanford team. So none of your false modesty now. We're on to your tricks now, Jabril. Yeah, Oregon Twitter's been a bunch of fun to watch. It just seems so <laughs> unwarranted, but I, I guess I understand why y'all are panicking this week. <laughs> you know how it, you know the curse yeah. that someone put on us, uh, I don't know, decades ago, apparently. If Oregon wins this game, be the first time fans in the stadium have seen Oregon win over Stanford since 2014. <laughs> because there were no fans for the 2020 game. Like it's, you know, it's been a minute. And Davis Mills was ruled out because of a fault. What ended up being a false positive COVID test. So who knows? That's right. That game. Yeah. There's always some craziness. Yep. It's truly insane. Uh, so I guess we should break down the roster that is about to deliver us that, uh, that terrible loss this Saturday. Well, I think we're all, all aware of the most, um, you know, significant and sad roster update, which is uh, EJ Smith uh, appears to be out for the season. Is that correct? That is correct. He was questionable going into Washington, did not play, and then announced on Tuesday this week that he'd be missing the rest of the year. Yeah, that sucks. He, he only wound up getting um, to be able to play against, you know, the opener against Colgate and, and then uh, the USC game in week two. And then Stanford had a bye week three, and it was just sort of like me messing with all of our data because because against Stanford has, has sort of a new offense. They sort of swiped Wake Forest's slow mesh RPO offense. Um, and they're only occasionally getting out the OLI formation to, to, to run the ball, except they weren't doing that against Colgate. And then, you know, they had EJ Smith for one of their two real games and not for the other one. And that's it. That's the end of the data set, even though we're going into week five here. And then the other issue has been, uh, as far as I can tell, a lot of injuries on the offensive line. It was uh, against USC. I was seeing uh, Miles Hinton play right tackle. Uh, but it, but then he, uh, he wasn't available for the, the Washington game. Is he still out? 
Uh, correct. He wasn't available for Washington. He was questionable going into it. Still questionable this week, uh, as well as left tackle Walter Rouse, who came out mm-hmm. of the first half of the Washington game and played sort of hobbled in the second half. And then the biggest injury of all is right guard Branson Bragg, who didn't play a snap all year right. and medically retired because of a severe concussion. Yeah, that really stinks. That that ha- that we saw at the beginning of the year, but it looked like the way that they were dealing with the right guard position was they were rotating two different guys. Um, I was seeing against USC. Levi Rogers, number 57, and uh, Barrett Miller, number 63. And then when, uh, so they were like drive by drive, you know, rotating against USC. So then when Hinton was unavailable for week four against Washington, they kept Rogers full time at right guard and and moved Miller over to play full time at right tackle. But then Rouse was injured, I, I think, in the first quarter. Um, against Washington, and so they moved Miller again over to, to to play left tackle, and they brought in number seventy one Connor McLaughlin, um, who I think had just played some special teams reps last year. Um, yeah, he had a uh, rough day. Don't look at the PFF grades on that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, well, I I produced my own, so I don't have to. Um, and mine uh, are accurate. Uh, so McLaughlin was playing a uh, right tackle. Um, but then, yeah, that, that was actually my the, the question that I wanted to ask you. I, Rouse came back in at the beginning of the second half. He did look kind of hobbled. Um, but then I, I only wound up charting two drives of the second half because, you know, it was garbage time. What 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 was going on with Rouse? What's his status? Do you got an update on that? It's questionable. And Shaw's been very, very tight lipped about injuries. He hasn't disclosed what EJ has, hasn't disclosed Hinton, hasn't disclosed uh, Walter Rouse, the only time he's disclosed an injury during the regular season so far has been once Branson Bragg actually did medically retire from football. Mm-hmm. So we really know nothing but from my experience over the past few years covering the team, questionable about 75% of the time, maybe 80% means that the guy's not going to play on Saturday. Are you expecting then the lineup against Oregon to be Miller on the left side, Hornbrook, Nugent, left guard and center, uh, uh, Rogers at right guard, and then McLaughlin again at right tackle? Yes, if both are unavailable, that is what I would expect to see what we saw against Washington. Uh, what's the depth situation like if one of those guys, I mean, like I hate to bring this up because like Jesus, I mean, it's just a ridiculous number of injuries at that point. But if somebody goes down in this game, who's the who's the next guy up? Let me check the roster for you because no one was <laughs> no one was prepping for that in the off season. Yeah, um, I know, man. I mean, like I, I watched the spring game. I, I saw, you know, a, a couple of like James Pogorelk, uh, Austin Uke, yeah, but that's it. Those are the only two guys who Metcalf. It'd be Metcalf. Yeah. Yeah. So, Metcalf and Jack Lehrer. Other than the guys that we've mentioned, Pogorelk, Uke, the, it's Metcalf and Lehrer are the only other guys who are on scholarship. There's uh, like five other walk-ons um, and then four true freshmen, which like, I don't know, man, yeah. you think, no. You think Shaw? I mean, playing Shaw's David not a Bailey, real big fan but... of playing, you know, true freshman on the line. But like, no, yeah, I agree. It'd be Pogorek would be your first tackle, and then it, if it's a center or a guard, it's going to be Metcalf. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just sort of like I don't know. Like it, it, this has been the bizarre thing about Stanford is you know everybody who came up in the in the Harbaugh in the early days of of Shaw you know like Stanford's offensive line was this terrorizing force and here we are having this conversation you know fast forward 10 years we're having this conversation and it's like is it going to be a walk-on like I mean it, it's been such a dramatic 
change, you know, at this position, they've gone through a couple different offensive line coaches. Like what's your sort of general sense about like the state of the offensive line here? Um, especially given, I know I'm sort of like looking, you know, pretty far into the future here, but like, as far as I can tell, you know, Rouse, Miller, Hornbrook, Nugent, I think this is their last year. Um, yeah. Yeah, and we really don't know what's going to happen with this roster next year with COVID decisions, people transferring out of the program. Uh, I think overall the offensive line sense is sort of it's a shame that these injuries happened because even week two against USC, that was the best offensive line performance Stanford fans have seen since 2020. So there was a significant improvement there. But now with Hinton and Rouse, there's a huge depth question mark. And you look at that Washington game tape, it's so ugly what happened to the offensive line. And there's the lack of depth is kind of incredible. Yeah. And it's, well, the difficult thing as a film reviewer is that when we have a data set this small, like I've only got two different defenses. And to be perfectly honest with you, like I, I think that USC's defense sucks. Um, yeah. Like I think it's a really bad defense. Other than the fact they generate turnovers, which is crazy. Which sort of like, oh, all is forgiven, right? You know, like <laughs> forget about the previous ten, you know, failed plays. I got a turnover in the red zone, so therefore that doesn't matter. And I'm like, mm. uh, you know, and I think Washington's is, you know, is better. And so we, it's like, you know, confounding variable problems. And I don't have any other data, you know, to compare it to. And so it's like. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know if that because I agree with you. I did think the offensive line looked like they were playing better against USC. But like, you know, Alex Grinch doesn't believe in outside contain for, you know, like I put out a tweet in which there's like five different runs in that game in which like the defense just has this gaping hole, you know, for because uh, yeah. <laughs> they can't because like Alex Grinch doesn't like understand this concept that you need to defend the edge. And like, uh and, and so I'm like, well, did the offensive line really need to <laughs> uh, perform against this guy? So I don't know. Like, I, it will, I, you know, because I, I guess I, where I, I think I'm going with this is like, you know, I, I wasn't a big fan of uh, Mike Bloomgren's replacement. Um, I've already forgot. Oh, Kevin Carberry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been sort of stumped about like why Terry Heffernan, you know, got this job. And I don't know. What are what are you thinking? You know, is it? Do you think that Stanford's looking at another offensive line coaching change in the yeah. future? Any coaching change from a from David Shaw would be a massive surprise to anyone, to mm-hmm. be perfectly honest with you. Uh, he's very, very loyal to his staff. He made the argument in the press conference before the season. Someone asked him about continuity, and he sort of made the argument that the continuity was more important to this team and this roster mm-hmm. than making a change, and he's happy, pleased with what all his staff is doing. So uh, – maybe it's only year two of Terry Heffern and this is his first full off season without any COVID restrictions with this group. So I'd be stunned if anything were to happen, it'd be much more likely to see some changes on the defensive end in terms of coaching. I'd be long overdue, frankly. I've I've never really been a big fan of Lance Anderson. Um, And and I sort of think some of the rest of the staff is getting a little long in the tooth sort of entering the like um, I'm, I, I don't have the energy for recruiting, you know, kind of phase of a lot of coaches' careers. But let's hold off on the defense uh, until later. It is remarkable, though. I believe I read a stat that, that Stanford was only one of only five FBS teams who who made zero coaching changes this year. Yep. Um, all right. Any other um, on the offensive side of the ball, any other injuries of note that we should be aware of? Nope, nothing of note there. Okay. I did see, I saw Ari Patu come in briefly during the Washington game, and I never, you know, got any context for that. Was, and I know that Tanner McKee, the starting quarterback, took a few hits. Is he, he's 100%, everything's fine with him? Yeah, no, no concern about Tanner. I think that was just at the end of the game, correct me? 
All right. It was like the was the very end of the first half. And I think Stanford just wanted to run the ball to like run out the yeah. clock. Um, and maybe they just put in Patu because like, you know, Tanner, why don't you because he's like six eight and he kept falling down and like <laughs> that can't <laughs> be fun. Yeah, <laughs> no, no injury concern. He did go down once for a bit, I think, on one of the sacks. But mm. yeah, no one's concerned about Tanner. I mean, I I'd be concerned about his health. <laughs> like no, yeah. Um here's so, uh, you know, I chart these games and I crunch out the stats and then with the obvious, you know, caveat that like, you know, I only have two FBS games to work with, which is a pretty small sample size. But like the the per play efficiency numbers say that Stanford is a better rushing team than a passing team. The The per play efficiency numbers say that they're above water, you know, when they're running the ball in a per play success rate and they're significantly below water um, when, when they're throwing the ball. My gut tells me just from watching them tanner mckee throwing the ball is the scary part of this offense and i don't worry about the rushing part of this offense and that's like it's strange for me to be going against the numbers especially numbers that i collect but that's i feel very certain about that fact or that opinion what do you think about that opinion jabril no i think going into the season everyone was like throw the ball throw the ball this team's going to be built by Tanner McKee and a very, very good group of wide receivers and an excellent tight end. And to be honest, the offensive line, of course, hasn't given enough Tanner, uh, Tanner enough time to throw the ball. And you saw that with some of the, at the end of during that Washington game, but the wide receiver group and tight end group, aside from Michael Wilson have underperformed this year to Stanford stand to the standards. We all thought they would. Mm. Uh, we thought this was a, one of the best groups in the conferences with Tremaine Humphreys, Higgins, Wilson, Urosek, who really broke out at the end of last season. Um, they've underperformed, not creating good separation. Then Tanner doesn't have time to throw the ball. That's going to shut down a passing attack. So I think the his targets have not performed as expected so far. But it's still the case. Like, you know, I've got a couple of clips that I'm going to put in my article where it's just like my my eyebrows about jumped off my face. I'm like, if he could do that consistently, mm-hmm. you know, some of those sideline passes. I Well, I guess I'll put it this way. The the. <laughs> the, the offense has undergone some interesting changes. They they basically swiped Wake Forest's slow mesh RPO system. Um, I uh, well, what what have you thought about that decision? Was that a surprise? Were there riots on the Stanford campus? Like you know, is this end of days? Cats lying down with dogs? What, what do you think? Well, the vast majority of people would have no idea that this has happened to our <laughs> offense. <laughs> but it was an incredible surprise. I mean, we've all been, people have been bashing for Shaw for years for being stubborn and not willing to change. And this for somewhat blows that argument apart. Of course, you can go back years and say he didn't adapt fast enough, but he did change and tried to make it do, revitalize a whole new offense based on his personnel. He said in his press conference that the Wake Forest staff was being pretty tight lipped about their offense but he went through their film extensively and added their own spin on it but we were all completely stunned when they broke this out especially since of course they hit it against colgate and saved it for usc yeah um yeah that was a really interesting decision um yeah as a film reviewer i hate it because i I get less tape but uh yeah it's interesting it's you know it it's a fairly standard rpo offense it's just with the 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 one weird trick of like, instead of the mesh being sort of instantaneous, they ride it for like two, almost three seconds. And, you know, they're basically reading. I mean, that's the thing that Clawson, the Wake Forest coach has been really tight lipped about is like how you, you know, which dude you're reading on which type of play. Although you can just look at the quarterback's helmet. It's not that tough. Uh, But like, 
you know, the, the whole point I, I think is that like you are delaying having to make your decision until after the defense makes their decision with the safeties or linebackers, you know, whether they're going to play up against the run or, or back against the pass. And so you get to make the final decision. Um, the, the, you know, what, what wake forest can tell you is that the, you know, the downside to the system is that if you can, if defense can trust its defensive front, you know, it's defensive linemen, the guys who are playing on the line of scrimmage should just crush the offensive line, you know, immediately then like, you know, that, that mesh sort of doesn't go anywhere. Like th that's why I sort of thought like this was a head scratcher to me in terms of this, you know, scheme change is just like the, the weak point is Stanford's offensive line, you know, like they, they're not going to be able to hold up against that. And sure enough, like they've sort of been, yep. been sort of getting crushed. And I think that's sort of, you know, the other thing that I, I didn't like about this change, I invited you on this podcast so I can dump on Stanford. The, thanks. Gabriel. <laughs> the ahead. other thing that I didn't like about this uh, scheme change, you already noted it. You're actually ahead of me, um, uh, which uh, is cool. Um, is that, yeah, it, it's, I think that Stanford's most lethal weapons are, you know, Tremaine and uh, and Humphreys on the outside. And those guys, uh, you characterize as underperformance. I think it's an artifact of the scheme because those guys aren't running sideline routes. Those guys are running inside slant routes, you know, little short little stoppers, you know, to, to pick up those RPO stuff, not doing the like the lethal make you sweat Stanford thing, like those box out throws. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, I Like. Yeah, I really didn't. I mean, I appreciated that Shaw wanted to make a change, but like I, this system seemed like not a great fit for where Stanford's strengths and weaknesses um, are. And like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Do you, you think I'm off base? What do you think about that take? Not totally. Um, I think it's been two games we've seen it. So we'll see. I think Washington's front seven is very, very good. And mm. that gave the offensive line a lot of trouble. But yeah, certainly because it's so dependent on that offensive line, you saw then you saw what happened against Washington. They had to go away mm. from the slow mesh for a large part of those snaps because of it. So it, I think it's a little too early to tell. But what you're saying does make sense and looks like if this Washington trend continues and USC ends up being as poor on defense as you believe, that could very well be a correct take. Um. In terms of the running backs, uh, you know, the guy behind EJ Smith is Casey Filkins, and I guess he's running back number one now. Actually, you know, I don't think he sets the world on fire. I don't think he's exactly EJ Smith's talent, but, you know, I, I don't think he's a bad back at all. Like, I, I think he's actually a pretty respectable back, and uh, I've got a couple of clips. I'm going to put a, at least one in my article uh, of him, like you know, showing some patience and vision where it's like, oh, that hole's not there, but this one is, and sort of like, zoop, and, and go through the right hole. Like, I, I, I don't uh, you know, obviously there's going to be a step down to some extent, you know, losing Smith. Um, but like, I don't think, you know, Stanford's run game is in, in you know, when Philkins is in is going to be like, oh my God, this is going to be a disaster. You know, I, I, I think he's just fine. Do you share that opinion? Oh yeah. Philkins is just fine. I think the concern Stanford fans have is what's behind that. Caleb yeah. Robinson, Brendan Barrow, because Straw's going to use multiple backs. He said that last week when EJ was questionable. Uh, and then Philkins himself been injury prone prone throughout his time on the oh, farm. Has he? So, yeah, what happens when if Filkins goes down too? Then what does your running back oh, room boy. become? So yeah, yeah, that's the injury for Filkins now is the big concern. I was a little surprised that I was because I think that Caleb Robinson's a walk-on, right? I believe so. 
Yeah. I was a little surprised because I was seeing him, I think, earlier than I was seeing Brendan Barrow, um, who's a mid three star. I mean, like, I guess, like, in terms of like the the raw talent ratings out of 247, like, this running back room doesn't sort of mm-hmm. light the world on fire. Um, and given the offensive line troubles, you know, like, it would be nice to have a back who could make something out of nothing. And I'm not really sure that that talent is there. Is that is that how you're seeing the room, too? Uh, yeah, I think it's young Arlen Harris is someone we people, Stanford fans have hoped for, for. Everyone was hoping he would sort of be he running the, back three. He was the true freshman um, four-star yeah, four in the 2022 class. Um, but I don't think we've seen him yet, right? No, and there was hope in the spring that he'd be running back three. But there are just a bunch of question marks. Because after last season, everyone thought the running back room was going to be EJ competing against uh, Austin Jones and Nathaniel right. Pete. And uh, but those, those two guys. are gone to USC and Mizzou, respectively. Mm-hmm. So no one was really thinking about these guys and how they would have to contribute. It's probably premature that they're this too high, this high up on the depth chart. And then you mentioned uh, in terms of the tight ends, uh, Benjamin Urosik, uh, you know, he, he's been doing fine. Um, I've seen some, I guess I was a little surprised to see that it looks like, you know, tight end number two is Sam Roosh, the, mm-hmm. the true freshman. Uh, was that surprising you too? Yep. That's surprising as well. Passing Archer almost in the depth chart. There's an or on the depth chart now, but mm-hmm. I've seen a lot more of Roche. Yep. Although I haven't really, I don't think I've seen him targeted much. Um, yeah. You know, he's, he's basically in blocking, but like a blocking as a true freshman seems like, Ooh, that's a thing, you know, that that's, that's notable for David Shaw. It is no. And then in terms of the wide receivers, uh, you know, I, I guess it's nice. All these guys are healthy because that certainly wasn't the case last year. Um, like I said, I, I sort of think the pro- productivity issues have much more to do with the, the line and the scheme than they do with these guys, like suddenly, you know, ha- having rocks for hands. Uh, you know, the, 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 the four studs are, 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 are Tremaine Humphreys, Higgins and Wilson. Um, I've seen a little bit of uh, Silas star, um, but I think that's basically it, right? Like it, there's yeah, Bryce Farrell's on special teams now. Pretty yeah. Much. Any any news or notes or surprises here? Like, is anybody else like, oh no, th- this guy's coming back from injury and he's going to light it up this week or anything like that? Uh, Michael Wilson was not fully healthy at the end of last year when he came back from injury and mm-hmm. wasn't playing like it, and now seems to be back to the form, the wide receiver one form we all had hoped for him in his time on the farm. So that's your big news there on the wide receiver front is that Michael Wilson seems to be back. But otherwise, yeah, deep group that hasn't really had the productivity people expected so far. Hey, podcast listener. Hey, Come you. over here. Come yeah. over here. Get over here, yeah. Nice headphones you got in here. Oh, yeah, I like those, Chevy. Be a shame if something were to happen to those headphones, eh? Stomped them on the ground, eh? Be real easy to avoid that smashing if you went over to the Quack12 Twitter account and gave us a little follow. Just a little follow, that's all we're asking. And hey, look at that. I hear you listening to your new podcast apps in your car, huh? Driving home, making the long journey feel a little shorter, eh? Is that what he's doing there, bud? (laughs) Yeah, turning your three-hour drive into a nice little vacation, huh? Be a shame if your car ended up on the bottom of a lake. Splash. Splash maybe with you in the trunk of it, huh? Glug, glug, guzzle, guzzle. Maybe all that can be avoided with a little trip to the quack. 12 page on Apple Podcasts. All you got to do is go to Apple Podcast, Quack 12, give us internet. five stars. Yeah, the internet, you got it, bud. Five stars, 
Leave us a little comment. Help other people find it. Maybe it'll help people find you when they find out that you're gone missing. If you catch my drift. You seen the posters on the telephone poles? Yeah, those are those are people that didn't give us fucking five stars. Some of them did, and we did it anyways. And then, uh, you know, uh, oh, hey, hey, look at, look at this podcast listen on their long inner, inner uh, continental flight, making things not so bad, not wanting to hear that baby by covering it up, wah, wah, so they say, putting on them headphones, trying to get the sky waitress's attention. Get over here, give me more of that. Quack 12 podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you? Yeah, you want some more of that Quack 12 podcast, don't you? Yeah. You want to buy some more from us, don't you? Get it. Otherwise, Get you know, because if you don't buy this Quack 12 podcast insurance, you never know when your plane's going to go straight down into the water, into the old Atlantic, Quack. never to be seen again. Glug, glug, guzzle, guzzle. In case you don't want to be th- part of the rock and roller club. At the bottom of the fucking ocean, then I recommend you go to the Quack 12 Patreon. Come on, come on. Why don't you go to the Quack 12 Patreon, give us five smackaroos, and for that we can forget about the whole nasty business have you on your way. We'll forget about it. We'll forget about it, all right? Five measly dollars, that's all I got. Now listen up, punk. Because it looks like you're not seeing so good right now. My boss is talking to you, chump. Aren't you chump? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. All right, let him, let him go, Mikey. Let him go. In the bottom of the fucking ocean. Ayo! Quack, quack. All right, let's switch over and talk about the defense. So, um... Whoa. Yeah. Uh, so if the the officially we talked about this when we spoke in the summer, um, officially they announced a scheme change. Lance Anderson had been running a three four for a real long time, and and this summer they announced, oh, we're going through a scheme change now. It's going to be a four three now. Um, and uh, and you know I, I was fairly skeptical of that uh, as we discussed back in the summer that like this really looks like they just don't have enough defensive linemen uh, as far as I can tell I think in terms of interior defensive linemen you know excluding the quote unquote edge players the interior defensive linemen it looks like they've only got three scholarship guys um, number forty Tobin Phillips uh, number ninety four Anthony Franklin number ninety eight Zach Bucky um, and I think those are the only guys that I've seen playing for Stanford. If I got all that right, Jackson Moy has been playing. A oh, bit as well, the right? freshman. Yeah. Hmm. The thing that's been, you know, so what basically I've been seeing is their their standard front has been two of those, you know, those guys that I just mentioned um, with their fist down. Two guys who last year would have been OLBs, um, but who are reclassified to be called edge players now, but who are all like the two fifty you know, uh, you know, pound kind of guys. So like, I've been primarily seeing, um, Stephen Heron. And as we predicted over the summer, David Bailey, um, uh, the, the true freshman sort of the gem of the 2022 class. And both of us were like, yeah, that dude's going to play for real. Like it'll be unusual for Shaw to be a true freshman, but he's a stud and he's going to play. And that's, that's played out. Hasn't it? Yeah, he's been fine. Not lighting the world on fire by any stretch. Still very much adjusting to the college game. Shaw says, 
But yeah, where we've expected David Bailey to play and he's your starting edge player, one of the two on this team. So I think the really interesting thing to and uh, well, before I get to that, the the so basically what I've been seeing, you know, they can call it a four down front. You know, it, it really is a sort of a two down front with a couple of OLBs um, and, and uh, it's structured like a three, four, but they just don't have a nose tackle, you know, it's sort of like, uh, you know, and I sort of think that the, the core problem with in particular Stanford's rush defense, which has been not great, uh, is just there's there's not enough dudes, you know, there's not enough beef. Um, do you is do you share that opinion? Yeah, there's not enough size on this. Tobin Phillips might be the one exception. Yeah, the the size is a huge issue on the defensive line right now. They don't have the bodies. That's part of the scheme change, I guess. Yeah, that's the main reason for it. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is it, – it's not like they had the light bulb go off and said, let's make a scheme change one day. It's they <laughs> realize that they only have three linemen, like three for real linemen, and are, and no, none of them are nose tackles and are like, well, I guess we need to, you know, to, to switch around the scheme. And then here's the other really interesting thing is that for a whole lot of downs, um, you mentioned Tobin Phillips. That's the, the, the basically that they will go to a one down front who is, you know, Tobin Phillips will be that guy um, who's 290 pounds. He's definitely the biggest of them. And, and they'll bring in number zero, uh, Anais DeCosmo, who's another, you know, classified as edge player, you know, guy. So they'll have like the one, you know, down, uh, you know, who's Phillips. They'll have Heron and Bailey and DeCosmo. And DeCosmo will sort of like be moving around, mm-hmm. you know, to confuse things. Um, and like, I, I can't, I can't figure out a rhyme or reason for why they switch to that, you know, the, the one five instead of the two, four. Did, have you picked up any reason for that? Or they, you know, they divulged that in press conferences. What do you think? Not at all. Shaw doesn't divulge much <laughs> at all in general, but it's, I think it's a talent issue. They don't, mm-hmm. again, you said they don't have those tackles. Uh, so they put another edge player. They will do a better job than the tackle would. Well, I mean, they it was actually on a few downs against USC and against Washington. It definitely seemed to confuse the, you know, it's like they make their, they the, the offensive line would make their, okay, I get this guy and you get that guy and you get this third guy. And then DeCosmo would flip over to the other side of the line, but then they wouldn't correct their assignments. And so the offensive line would be running into each other. Now, I happen to think that USC and, uh, and the University of Washington have the two worst offensive line coaches in the Pac-12, which is saying something. Uh, cause Terry Heffernan's in the Pac-12 too. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, and, and like, I don't know how effective that's going to be going forward. Um, uh, you know, like, or like they have to play Oregon state, for example, who I think has the best offensive line coach in the Pac-12. Um, but I will say that like that confusion factor has been sort of effective, like, and that, I don't know, man, it sort of shows more creativity than I'm expecting out of this staff. I have to agree with you on that. Again, any any sign of creativity gets Stanford fans pretty excited. Uh, you, yeah, you can't fault the staff for not trying anything this season. And then in terms of the inside linebackers, it's been all the guys that we expected, right? You know, Demuni and Beeson and, and yeah. Magnum Farrar and Sinclair. They look um, about the same. No huge, yeah. no huge jumps from anyone. I, I share that opinion. I don't think we need to belabor it. Um, although, well, I will say one thing which is interesting, which is that I have noticed that when the opponent goes to like heavier sets, like two tight end sets, they, unlike a lot of teams um, who would respond to that by putting in either an extra de- defensive lineman or an extra OLB, they put in a third ILB. Um, so they go to like, maybe I would call it a, a, a two five. And I suspect that's simply like, 
ILB is the position where they have depth. You know, they've got four dudes that they trust and they don't have four defensive linemen that they trust. Yeah. So it looks like they've got four, you know, OLBs though, uh, uh, Heron and, and Bailey, who are the starters, you know, DeCosmo, who's, you know, coming in on some of those, you know, those interesting one down formations and Aaron Armitage, the, the four star um, has been playing too, I think sort of in relief, right? Right. Yeah. So it's interesting, although like, the, you know, Armitage is fairly young and I think and, and Bailey, of course, is a true freshman. And I think probably the reason why they bring in the ILBs instead of more OLBs when they want a heavier look is because they, you know, the ILBs have been around for a long time. Right. You know, they're all yep. 2018, 2019 guys. Um, and I think they probably sort of trust their experience more. Right. Correct. All right. Let's talk about these defensive backs. Um, you're really going to have to help me out here. Um so uh, some guys uh, are playing who I expected to see. Um, Kendall Williamson, of course, he's been around for a while. Um, Caillou Blue Kelly, uh, who I think is the, you know, the, the best uh, dude in the defensive backfield uh, in the corner position. Um, it, and then I've sort of been surprised at some of the other uh, moves. I've seen um, number 20, Jaden Slocum, playing some cornerback, um, who I don't think we talked about him at all in the summer um has there been has any of this lineup during the season been a surprise to you uh i think some Stanford fans were surprised that ethan bonner beat out salim turner muhammad as uh center back too but you'll see both of them playing quite a bit mm-hmm. uh not much i don't think slocum played against a washington in a snap i don't see him on the snap chart really? but yeah we yeah i don't see him here on pff chart uh how, how would you evaluate the secondary's play so far I think it's been all right. I think Stanford fans expected to have one of the better secondaries in the conference, and they've underperformed a a bit. But overall, I think most people blame the defensive, the front seven, for not being able to get any sort of pressure. And sort of like last year, you have a bunch of guys who are talented, uh, Caillou, Patrick Fields, McGill, Williamson, uh, and then you just – you're not getting any help, though. And and they've also faced two – uh, one of the best wide receiver cores in the country in USC. And then Washington has a very good core as well. So yeah, I agree. I've liked fields. Uh, you know, I had to do a lot of film study on him when he was playing in Oklahoma. I think he's like one of two st- transfers that Stanford has ever taken. Um, it's uh, in the w- single digits. You count it on one hand. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I basically agree with you. I think the starters are pretty respectable. I think Kyle Kelly is one of the best uh, cornerbacks in the conference. Um, you know, Kendall Williamson is a great tackler. I mean, he ought to be, I think this is like sixth year playing at Stanford. Um, you know, Fields is, you know, pretty experienced guy too. I thought he was the smartest one of the defensive backs when I was watching him at Oklahoma. Um, and like, you know, I don't think the other guys really embarrass them too much either. No. Um, you know, I've got some breakdowns on my sheet, but as you say, you know, they're playing some, some really good wide receiver cores. Um, I, you know, but, but I think as you know, you were intimating, like, I really worry about the depth here. You know, I really worry about if I were a Stanford fan, you know, these guys sort of getting run, you know, run out of the stadium at some point because they're going to be fatigued. Cause like, you know, I, I don't, I don't really know about Bonner and I don't really know that it says great things about Turner Muhammad that he got beat out. You know, we, you know, God, it feels like we've been talking about Turner Muhammad. Like this is the year for him forever. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like uh, that, uh, what do you, you think the ship has sailed on that guy? What do you think? Uh, Probably. Yeah, definitely. The ceiling has been lowered quite a bit. Uh, Maybe you could say the ship has sailed at this point. Bonner beating him out is pretty disappointing from a Stanford fan side of things. 
but yeah, I think you're right about the starters here being pretty solid overall. And the depth question is a really big issue. Now the the safety group is really good depth. So good that they decided to put fields as nickel instead of rotating the safety group. So I think if one goes down, things should be all right. But if two goes down and Stanford has 10 straight games here after that week three by, who knows what's going to happen. Well, and then the other thing that sort of makes it difficult to assess the second, well, you already mentioned one of the two things that makes it difficult to assess the secondary, which is like they're getting left out on an island because, you know, there's very little penetration coming in from the pass rush. But the other thing is just like Stanford is just so vulnerable to the run that, you know, at some point it's like, do I really need to throw the ball? You know, like if I throw the ball, there's at least some good dudes back there who might pick the ball off. On the other hand, like, you know, I could just run all day, you know, against this sort of depleted front. And so like, I don't know, man, it might be interesting when Stanford plays Wazoo, you know, that, that might, might, might reverse that trajectory. Uh, um, but like, yeah, I, that, that's another, you know, I was sort of complaining earlier about like not being able to assess the offensive line because the data set is so small and they're going up against like weird defenses um, uh, and, and injuries sort of messed with things. I, I think on the defense, that's the confounding variable for me, too, is it's sort of like if it's just this old football truism. If you can't stop the run, it kind of doesn't matter what else you can do well, because that's, you know, all the opponent is going to do all day long. I don't know, Jabril, are, are you looking forward to the season of watching Stanford get run all over? <laughs> like, do, are, will you be able to appreciate the irony of that, you know, looking back to 2011? Uh, it, it irony has been hitting for quite a few years here on campus uh, with this Stanford team and how what really made them into that top one of those top 10 teams in the nation was being able to dominate in the trenches. And now those position groups are just really weak and you're the bottom of the Pac-12. So. Yeah, I think Stanford fans are expecting very similar results from 2021 from the rotten defense. Um, if Stanford wins this game, write the story. Like, how did, when, how did wow. it happen? When this the Stanford wins this game, that's what I want to say. But how did it happen? Uh, Bo Nix is going to have to throw a couple of picks, mm. and they're going to have mm. the Stanford defense is going to have to force turnovers. They're going to give up yardage. They're just going to have to. Oregon's going to have to make a few key mistakes, and the Stanford defense has to force turnovers. And the Stanford offense needs to take care of the ball and have Miles Hinton and Walter Rouse in this in this ball game. Otherwise, it's going to be a lot of trouble. <laughs> but the main thing is winning that turnover battle. Stanford lost it four nothing to USC. If they then Stanford moved for over four hundred forty yards against USC. Yes, the defense couldn't stop them uh, at all, but it would have been a somewhat of a game if the, that turnover margin wasn't so ugly. They also lost the turnover margin 3 nothing last weekend against UW. So yeah. turnovers have been a major, major issue. Defense can't force them. Offense keeps giving it up. So if the turnover battle goes Stanford's way in a heavy manner, and Oregon shoots himself in the foot a couple times, I think. See, I, I well, I definitely think that that's that's true. That's that's you know, turnovers going the the wrong way is usually you know ingredient number one of any sort of upset special. But um, I just can't get over the feeling that like I, I feel like I feel like Tanner McKee might be the most NFL ready quarterback in the Pac-12, and you wouldn't know it from looking at box scores. Mm. Um, but I think that he is a really really deadly quarterback, and I I think that if his wide receivers and his wide receivers can sort of create their own matchup advantages. Um, and it, like my, you know, when I close my eyes and have nightmares about this game, what I <laughs> see is, you know, McKee going off, uh, you know, and, and hitting, you know, those sorts of passes. Um, hit, hit, the fact that you didn't mention that in your uh, fantasy scenario makes me think that you think that's unlikely. Uh, do you? 
uh, people uh, we're very worried now about his pocket presence after taking eight sacks against UW and the offensive line just collapsing. We don't think McKee's going to have time to be able to get those roots and get that ball off. So mm-hmm. uh, sort of definitely people have been underwhelmed with McKee and are very worried about his pocket presence because he's just not able to escape any sort of No, pressure. he's definitely – I mean, he's yeah. he's just – he's. I mean, that's the thing. Is, you know, Oregon just got off playing a game against, you know, Cam Ward in which he sort of made mm-hmm. the defense. Even though the defense was, you know, constantly winning, he'd make them look silly with, you know, these crazy scrambles. And, I mean, I, I've been looking at, at the rest of Oregon's schedule where they got to play like Jaden Delora the next, you know, the week after. And they got to play uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson after the bye. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, scrambling quarterbacks. God, I hate these guys. Uh, and then I see Tanner McKee and I'm like, okay, well, that's not a concern. <laughs> and, and when you look at the Stanford quarterback depth chart now, Ari Patu, Ashton Daniels, mm-hmm. the guys they're recruiting aren't really this typical Stanford quarterback we've been able to, we've been sort of identified over the past decade. So it seems like the coaching staff might be moving towards more of those mobile, uh, almost dual threat quarterbacks here, which is a very interesting thing to keep an eye on in the future. Do you? Oh man, I shouldn't speak this into existence. Arizona did it last year with Jordan McLeod. Do you think there's any chance that uh, that David Shaw pulls a pulls a fast one and puts in a running quarterback for this game? Oh no, I, I'd be stunned. <laughs> I'd be stunned. All right. Well, I just read <laughs> your headlines. The guy you. he can make throws that only two or three guys in college football can make. I mean, it's true. He's really yeah. like. I, I really feel like you know he's pr- he's probably gone after this year, wouldn't you think? very likely given how much this roster is going to lose yeah um i I know i wouldn't stick around if i were him and i think he's got an nfl payday i think that the nfl scouts are good enough to recognize you know that that skill set um and sort of you know overlook whatever it is that the box score said and said like i want that dude you know he's he's got all the measurables he's got a rifle for an arm he is fearless you know for all the hits that he has taken um you know he he pops right back up. You know, he he does not flinch when he's about to take a, a hit. I look, I really like Tanner McKee. Um, and I really think, you know, he's got a bright NFL future if he didn't have, you know, sort of a a weird zombie coaching staff and and, and a you know bunch of half dead offensive line in front of him. Um and and like uh yeah, I you know, I wouldn't stick around either. You know, I I sort of want to make a business decision and, and you know what I mean. Yeah, I don't think any Stanford fans looking forward to what this depth chart's going to look like in 2023. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, there's, I mean, that's the thing though about Stanford. It's so weird. Is like the the, the roster is really talented. It's still, it's still the fourth most talented roster, you know, in the Pac-12. Um, and uh, you know, just doing a little projecting forward, you know, I believe it will remain the fourth most talented roster, you know, in 2023, even with you know the the losses that I'm expecting, you know, given how the the recruiting class is shaping up, you know, it's just sort of like, you know, it's it's got to be frustrating, you know, to be on this slide, you know, for this long, and and for Shaw to be like, yeah, I don't making changes. That's for the birds, you know. Yeah, it's definitely frustrating. I think. Uh, this year, it, if it ends up playing out how it looks like it is, it's going to really sting because you have a potential first-round pick in Tanner McKee, a bunch of talent at wide receiver and tight end, and highly rated recruits all over the offensive line. And defense has some very good players on it as well. So it feels like a lot of this talent is going to waste because of just poor performances in the trenches. And if you look at the schedule right now, the only game Vegas would have Stanford favored in is home against ASU. They'd be favored uh, underdogs in every other game. So it's looking pretty yeah, Stanford grim right misses now. Colorado this year, right? And Arizona, mm. yep. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's 
Yikes. Um, that's too bad. Uh, uh, Notre Dame, they could win potentially. That's true. Notre Dame might stink <laughs> nice. this year, frankly. I just did a film study on Cal versus Arizona because that's the next one coming up. You know, like Cal played Notre Dame close, and, I was, and, and they sort of, you know, and they knocked around Arizona to some extent. And then I turned on the film, and I'm just like, I'm watching two really incomplete teams play each other. Frankly, actually, I think that Stanford could beat Cal. Um, I, I wouldn't write that game off. No, no, I don't write it off. I just don't think they'd be favored if you made the odds today. Yeah um yeah i actually wouldn't be surprised i i don't i guess i would be surprised um if they if stanford beat both of those teams Stan, uh, cal and notre dame um but i uh if those games were closer than stanford fans thought they were going to be that would uh yeah i i might make that prediction and that's the optimistic take here it's okay they beat colgate fine whatever but now you're facing usc uw and oregon three top 15 teams in a row and you're getting beat. Did you really expect Stanford to compete, like be a top 25 team this year? No. Now I think that's a pretty optimistic take, but I guess you, the panic button shouldn't be going crazy until you lose that home game against Oregon State. Well, the, the, I mean, here's the other thing. I, I don't really mean to keep coming back to David Shaw, but I mean, sort of the defining factor of, of Stanford football for more than a decade now is that like, there's no fire under his ass, right? There's no like, well, if this is another four and eight season or worse, uh, I'm going to get fired. So I better make some changes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's impossible to predict what could happen. I mean, if they go two and 10 or three and nine with Tanner McKee at quarterback, I mean, and no staff changes, uh, it's just really hard to imagine that happening, but you could envision a scenario that happens on at Stanford. Mm-hmm. So it, it really works unlike any other school uh, because of the lack of fan enthusiasm and fan frustration. Well, it also investment. just sort of feels like the, the administration doesn't have an itchy trigger yeah, finger, you not, know, either. Yeah, sports isn't what sells the school to Stanford or sells people to Stanford. Which is crazy because they win the director's cup every year. It's like not the past two years. They lost their thirty year streak to Texas, which is another source of frustration for Stanford <laughs> fans. Yeah, well, I'm sure there were riots on campus. Oh, huge riots. Palm yeah. trees burning down. Yeah, exactly. Uh Jabril, it's been great talking to you. Uh, yeah. I always enjoy our conversations, uh, you know, especially how glum you are right before Stanford knocks the hell out of Oregon. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. <laughs> And we should, I wanted to try to get this on the record. It's all right. We can uh, uh, cut this out if you want. But do you want to come out and say that it was you flying that drone at the UW or oh, someone from not. the Stanford Daily? Are it you sure? Not. Yeah, pretty confident. Pretty confident. All right. I didn't even notice it from the booth. We were all just talking. We were all trying to get through and analyzing what's going on with this Stanford. <laughs> oh, I'm we sure. We weren't paying attention at all. To the I've been in that on. stadium while my team gets their ass kicked, and I'm also trying to look at other things besides the yeah. field when that's happening. I know. The view softens the blow a little bit. Jabril, yeah. I understand you're coming up to Autzen Stadium for the first time to cover the game. I sure am. I'm excited for what is probably the best atmosphere in the Pac-12. I'm sure you guys would. Well, you, that you get to sing and dance at the the end of the third quarter. That's always fun. Oh yes, mm-hmm. they love me doing that in the press box. And you hey, get a storm. Hey, the field Brock Hewer did it last year, uh, <laughs> and he's a dirty husky. He's got even less reason to do it. <laughs> yeah, he's got a he's got a, a Washington radio show when he was dancing the show. But you 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 ain't got no excuses to bring. Uh, Jabril of the Stanford Daily of KZSU Sports Radio, the sports director over there. Uh, You can find him on Twitter at Jabril Ta, J-I-B-R-I-E-L-T-A-H-A. 
Jabril, it's been awesome talking to you, and um, yeah, I'm um, going to be pretty bummed to the L this Saturday. Yeah, congratulations again. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> All right. See you all next week.